you know, most of what I do is I just kind of challenge my clients to think differently. It's like, okay, that's what got you here, but now how do we go here? Mm. You know, and, and usually you have to kind of re- reframe, rethink, reimagine, reinvent. And so I guess that's if you ask me what I do for a living, I, I take really successful people and have them reimagine themselves in a different place, not by being more successful, but by being more significant. You are listening to the Real Leaders Podcast, your number one source for impact leaders harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. I'm your host, Kevin Edwards, and that message was from Mike Myatt, the founder and CEO of end to growth who helps CEOs rethink their definition of success. And on today's episode, I asked Mike about how to train your mind to project a positive image, what painful moments in his life led to his own growth, and the difference between success and significance. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's give it up for the real Mike Myatt. Enjoy. All right, well, we'll get started then. All right. Here we go. In five, four, three, two, and boom. Just like that, we're recording. Mike Myatt, thanks for coming on the show today. My pleasure. My pleasure, Kevin. How's the how's the week going? How's the the family doing? I feel like that's the conversation that's like it's like the new question, right, Mike? It's like how how's your week going? How's your quarantine yeah. going? Yeah. You know, I actually really love being at home and I really like being with my family. Um, so my week is going well. Uh, you know, I, I've worked in a largely distributed manner for a long time. I mean, we have real offices. I just avoid them like the plague. <laughs> so uh, so this is pretty much business as usual for me, I, I think, minus travel. Um, but I don't enjoy that as much as I used to either. Uh, so, you know, things are good here. We've been really lucky. Uh, family's doing well. Team's doing well. Clients seem to be doing well. How, how are you doing? How's your family? Doing good, doing good. Yeah, I mean, I I like you, like being alone as well. Sometimes, you know, I'm pretty extroverted, which is odd. I love being alone in my own space. So this kind of just brings me back. I work at home anyway, so really yeah. not much of a difference other than not going out and you know wasting money on the weekend. Really is the only difference. So it's been nice, been able to focus on yeah. work. But I'm curious though, like, did when you were growing up, were you ever alone? Did you like being alone? And kind of what's what was your up- upbringing? You know, it's interesting. I think most people would probably say I'm an extrovert. Uh, I'm as far from that as you could ever get. I think by nature, I'm pretty introverted, but I've always been, you know, into athletics. I spent some time in the military. So I've always been around a lot of people. And so as much as that's not where my natural proclivity would take me, that's just kind of where I've ended up. So, you know, I'm comfortable around people. I'm also really comfortable just kind of hanging out on my own. And, and for guests listening to this right now, I don't think it's a, a good introduction. Mike's the founder and chairman of uh, N2 Growth. So he trains, uh, you know, and, uh, CEOs and four 500 companies um, and is a leadership advocate uh, and, and believes leadership really uh, impacts everything. So, you know, great, great person to have on the show. But Mike, when, when you're the reason I bring that up is because when you're working with a CEO, when you go in, do you approach them differently if they're introverted versus extroverted? 
You know, not really. I, I mean, it's important to recognize that. So if they struggle with that, mm-hmm. you know, we can work through it together. Right. But I think the reality is by the time somebody reaches uh becoming a chief executive or being a member of a board of directors or even even at the C-suite level or C minus one, right? They're pretty accomplished. They're pretty comfortable in their skin. Mm. Um, they have a good idea of who they are. Uh, and if they don't, you know, they, they usually won't end up in that chair. So I, I think ev- everybody can develop. Everybody can get better. Everybody can refine, right? But the baseline is there. I asked a guest on the show Tuesday, like what makes a good leader? They they invest in like entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs, and uh, kind of incubate yep. them. Uh, and she said like humility was the number one thing uh, for her. So uh, obviously, if they're comfortable in their own skin, they they also have the humility to reach out to someone like you for help. Um, what do they mostly come to you for? Just a, a wide range of reasons, and are they, you know, humble yeah. with taking your advice? You know, they come for a wide range of reasons. Um, sometimes they're humble, sometimes not so much. Uh, but you know, wide range of reasons, right? It could be, um, you know, they they came up through. Uh, whatever corporate hierarchy they they matriculated through, um, and times have, have changed. The world has changed. Maybe the market dynamics and atmospherics are different today than they were five years ago. The technology is different today than it was five years ago. Uh, maybe they're trying to figure out adjacent markets. Maybe they're trying to figure out, you know, new strategies and business models. Uh, Maybe they're struggling with engagement. I mean, you know, it could be a succession thing. It it could be any number of things, but mostly um, I would say it's probably 50-50. I would say 50% of the people that reach out to me, reach out to me directly. Uh, the other 50% are people reaching out by proxy saying, Houston, we've got a problem, <laughs> you know? And so I'm being beamed in by, you know, a board or a selection and nominating committee or HR or something like that to just try and work through some development challenges. So th- that's more or less the landscape. Well, the landscape right now being, you know, with COVID-19, business is changing. Uh, it's affecting a lot of people out there as well. Um, but, you know, just... It's something you can't really, I, I, I guess you could plan for now that we, we've had it, but since it hasn't happened in about 100 years, it's not something that you're, you are likely to have a plan for. And now, Mike, you said your business is booming right now. Are people reaching out to you because of uh, trying to figure out this situation and this crisis and how to navigate it? I, I think it's partially that, but it's partially trying to figure out what's next, right? Mm, okay. I mean, there there is... I think everybody is partially focused on present because they're right in the thick of it, right? They're right in the middle of, okay, my whole world is shifted. Um, my business is being impacted. My team is being impacted. My value chain is being impacted. So, so part of everybody's focus is like right now, right here. It's right, you know, very close, right? Very near term. But, you know, there's, I'm trying to shift that thinking. It's like, okay, we have to deal with the present, but what is the present? The present is a springboard to the future. And and so we have to look past this because this too shall pass, right? Mm. Um, What it's going to look like, 
that's anybody's best guess. I don't have a crystal ball. I got out of the prognostication business a long time ago. Um, but that's that's the trick here, right? It's what's next and what is that new normal? And is that new normal going to look the same for everybody, different for everybody? I mean, I've got thoughts on that, but that that's kind of where we spend a lot of the conversation. I'm a big believer in like inputs and outputs, like the things that you're going to do for your mind to strengthen your mind will reflect in what you do. Yep. So during this time, and I actually have a story I'll tell you and I'll tell you a little bit later because it's embarrassing, but um, it, it's... It, I've got a few of those. <laughs> so well, like right now I'm going, like I'm stir fry right now in, in the house. Like I, I thought I was used to it, but and I, I've been honestly doing fine. I've been doing, I've been doing fine, but... You know, there was one of these days when I had a call with the founder and I've been doing these trick shot videos, Mike, with this, I'm a big basketball player. So I've been doing these there trick shot go. videos and uh, I listen to rap music. I grew up on group. I'm rap, rap music. So that's just who I am. I'm, I'm big into that scene. And so we're, we're playing, you know, doing some trick shots with the music in the background. My founder, I sent it to him. He had a nice chuckle out of it and then told me to, hey, you know, Kevin. If you want to be the leader you want to be, you can't be playing this rap music and sending this to people. You got to have the example, you know, derogatory words, misogynist words, things like that. You know, take me off a little bit because here I am. I'm like, ah, you know, this is just me. This is who I am. And, you know, all all things aside, he's 100 percent right. There's, you know, he, he said in the best way, hey, just consider it. Just consider changing this. But that one little thing set me off on the on the last podcast we have. I, th- I feel like I blew up on the podcast. I want to give people a nice conversation, a nice nice episode to listen to. Blew up, and then right after the episode, I just threw it on the NWA and just throughout the entire day, I was just cranking rap music. So it didn't really change me. But the question here is, Mike, is how important is keeping a positive mind state as the leader of the helm of a company or organization? You know, it is um, incredibly important. You know, what what you project is what people are going to react to. And as the leader, people pay attention to everything you say, everything you do, where you spend your time, who you spend it with. Um, you know, I, you are the most observed person in the enterprise if you're sitting in the CEO chair. You've got your board, you've got your workforce, you've got capital markets, public policy, media, right? I mean, everybody's got eyes on. So, yeah, it's critically important. And and nobody's perfect. People have bad days. But you have to be cognizant of what a bad day is and what you'll allow that to turn into and what you won't allow it to turn into, right? Exactly. So, our, and I'm just going to play off of that. Do you feel that leaders nowadays are feeling more pressure from stakeholders? Who are the stakeholders? And then versus maybe just traditional, like, you know, shareholder pressure? You know, I think so, you know, because the, this is a, everybody's in some state of transition, right? I mean, before COVID 19, everybody was on that digital innovation, digital transformation spectrum 
spectrum, you know, they were all on that journey where they were chasing nirvana, right? Emerging technology is going to be the silver bullet solution that's going to solve all my problems. And all the consultants were selling shiny new objects to sync up with a need for a silver bullet solution. And, you know, that was a form of transition or transformation. This has just made it more complicated. You know, it's accelerated certain things. It's slowed down others. But yeah, I think, yeah, it, it's, a, it's a trickier time because I think, you know, when things are going well and look, you know, let's, let's just call a spade a spade. We, we were in a rip roaring economy, very robust, very frothy, lots of optimism, lots of positive outlook. And all of a sudden, you know, people weren't tapping on the brakes. They were pushing the brakes straight through the floor. Right. And, and so, yeah, there, there's a lot of people that you have to deal with and you have to deal with them differently because they're in a different state of mind and they now have different problems. And so you have to be able to, I guess I'd put it like this. Um, I, I don't know if you grew up in the days where you still had manual transmissions like I did, but uh, you know, you have to learn how to shift gears without grinding. Right. And, and that's what a leader has to do. A leader has to be able to really seamlessly know when to upshift, when to downshift, when to leave it neutral on coast. I mean, you have to be dial it up, dial it down, dial it off. Right. And you have to be very sensitive as to how to do that. And you have to do it differently for different constituencies based on their needs, not yours. And that's a discipline. Mike, you mentioned, yeah, we're in this roaring economy, a lot of hopes, uh, a lot of high hopes. And then, you know, this villain comes in called COVID-19 and just totally disrupts this thing. I mean, you were in the military. I I think someone told me you were a Green Beret, if I'm not mistaken. No, no, no. I wasn't that... I, I wasn't that sophisticated. I was in the military, but I was just I was just a run of the mill, run of the mill army guy. Well, still, I mean, if you're under attack, I'm sure they teach you some type of survival tactics. That I think, you know, doing some business history, you know, uh, employment and management used to be based off of military uh, and military governance and hierarchy and things like that. I mean, yeah. maybe what are your experiences in the military and like how do you see this this COVID nineteen character taking over? Yeah, you know, it's um, I, I think the trick and look, I, we've got a lot of 50 percent of our U.S. workforce are veterans. And, and we oh, do yeah. have a lot of people here that have a spec ops background. Uh, and so they'll tell you that the, the key uh, to surviving combat is not not having fear but understanding how to deal with your fear, number one. And number two, uh, adapting faster than the enemy, right? And so, you know, whether the enemy is viral in nature or something else, you have to understand it. You have to get eyes on it and you have to adapt really, really quickly. And you can't let fear overcome your presence of mind. It's a resiliency kind of a thing, right? Mm. And so, you know, we've got... uh, I heard it just the other day. One of my guys was saying, slow is smooth and smooth is fast, right? You know, and I think, you know, back when I was in the military and that was like a lifetime ago, right? My, my son's actually still in. He works here at the company, but he's in the reserves now. He's a major. Uh, he's an EOD guy. He's a guy that wears a bomb suit, right? Um, so when everybody else is running this way, he's running the other way. Exactly. So that's a whole nother level of courage, right? But I think um, the thing that I would take away from the military is back when I was in, 
it was very command and control. And that element still kind of exists in that ecosystem, but mostly it's really evolved right now. And I will tell you that um, the reason we're 50% veteran here in the U.S., is because these folks are amazing leaders, right? And they're not command and control. They understand how to work in that environment, but they're very highly nuanced, very sophisticated, very emotionally intelligent, very self-aware, very situationally aware. And so, yeah, we use all of that here. We use it to our advantage. We, we see everything as a problem set or a challenge. You know, we let, you know, it's like threat identification, right? I mean, it's it's not a bad it's not a bad lens to look through. It shouldn't be the only lens that you look through, but it's not a bad filter. I'll put it like that. Now, are you seeing like when when this hit and like organizations say, okay, we have to pivot to go remote, and now you have leaders that have never led an organization without human to human contact. Now we're all remote and there's a lot of uncertainty with that. Are you seeing yeah. like organizations that maybe had like a decentralized command or a different type of management style are doing better now because of the changes that they made early on? What are your, what's your take on this whole remote work sh- working shift and who are some of the leaders that stick out to you? You know, I would say this um, work at home, work at home, you know, we're the office. Work is work, right? It's a mindset thing, but you'd be surprised. Um, I, I, I think what we're really dealing with with this remote working thing is just human nature, right? People people get into habits, they get into routines, and what have we done? We've just massively disrupted all of those habits and all of those routines, and we've tilted people off center. Now, most people will course correct and adapt. They're resilient. You know, they'll figure it out. But some people are really struggling right now. And I, I will tell you, I, I think when it comes to remote work, you know, being remote doesn't necessarily mean you have to be isolated, right? It, it's like, you know, you're not you're only stranded on an island if you burn your own boat, right? We have these things called microphones and computers and cameras. And I mean, there's no difference doing what we're doing right now than being, you know, sitting across the table. <laughs> but if you weren't used to that before, it's a whole new skill set. And, and, you know, I've, I've talked to some of my clients that they don't like being on camera. They don't like the fact now that virtually everything is being recorded, scares them to death, you know, and and look, I've got a face for radio. I probably shouldn't be on camera, but I, you know, I don't mind this because I think, you know, it's kind of interesting. You you get to see people and and see them through a different kind of a lens, but I got to tell you, I think it's more productive and and the companies that are embracing this are really going to thrive and the ones that aren't are going to struggle. So let me give an example of a couple of companies that are embracing it and they're all clients of mine. So I can't take credit for it. I wish I could tell you this was my idea. They came up with it on their own, but uh, I was talking to um, Lisa Buckingham and she's the chief human resources officer at uh, Lincoln financial. So, you know, fortune 200 financial services insurance company. Uh, she was on the phone with Christy, the CHO 
CHRO at Verizon. Then they got Ellen Shook involved, the CHRO at Accenture. And they, they were just talking. They said, you know, we're, we're going to have to lay off some people, furlough some people. There's a lot of people that are unemployed out there. Um, even though we're letting some people go, we still have needs. So why don't we form a co-op? And, and why don't we share our talent with one another? Because maybe some of the good people that have been regrettably displaced or may become displaced here, may, maybe you can use them and maybe we can use some of your people. Hmm. So like in a week, they went from a thought to something called People Work Connect. And you can find it on Accenture's website now. I mean, in a week, this went from an idea to a fully implemented kind of talent cooperative to get people back to work. How cool is that? That's impressive. I mean, it's amazing. How do you see business changing from this in the future? I mean, you mentioned habit change. That's yeah. a new habit. That's a new yeah. way to work together. It's a new, new way to live at home and work at home. Yeah. How do you see business changing in the future? You know, look, I, I don't think we're going to find a date on the calendar and we kind of flip the calendar over and everything's normal again, right? I, I, I think, um, I, I don't know, if you're anything like me, Kevin, I, I don't, I can't look back and say, hopping in a car, driving an hour to get to an office, to sit in the mind-numbing back-to-back-to-back meetings all day long, do a bunch of stupid stuff because of bureaucratic administrivia, then go home and have to wait until your family's in bed to get all your work done because you couldn't get it done during the day, right? I mean, I... I don't miss those days, right? I, I don't. I can't look back and say that was ever a really good idea. And, and as I mentioned, I think at the outset of the conversation, you know, we've been largely decentralized here for more than a decade. So I'd say probably, I don't know, maybe ninety percent of our workforce works remotely, mm. and we've been doing this a long time. So it feels good to us. Mm. Everybody else is acclimating, assimilating. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe they won't. But what does the future look like? You know, this too shall pass. We're going to get through this, but it's going to have lasting and lingering and real, you know, impact and effect. Right. Because I don't I don't think we are just going to go boom, hit a date on the calendar. Everybody hops in the car and goes back to cube land. Right. I mean, I, I think those days are done. Um, I think what COVID is doing is just accelerating the path that we already needed to travel, right? We needed to, we, we needed more supply chain security. We needed more freedom and collaboration and co-creation. We needed less hierarchy and, and more loose collaborative networks, right? We needed, it, we, we needed to go where we're going, we're just now going there faster. I mean, that's kind of how I look at it. Yeah, same. I think it's a, a big reset is how I had it uh, mentioned yeah. to me. Big reset. And it's an opportunity yeah. for leaders yeah. to change their ways to for the better of the world, for the better of their organization. So when you think about hacking leadership, the book right behind you, your book that you've written, yeah. <laughs> how, how important is it right now uh, for leaders to you know, make fundamental shifts to, you know, sustain long-term success, not just for the organizations, but for their employees uh, and society. You know, um, 
some of the some of the drivel that is between the covers of hacking leadership is, you know, these are kind of myotisms that you know I've kind of put into play myotisms. over time, and and I think, um, nice. you know, everything is about the people, right? But for the people, there is no platform, there is no product, there is no service, there is no technology, there's no customers. But for the people, you have nothing to lead. So, you know, the the big leadership hack is the obvious one. Take care of your people. You know, if if you take care of your people and you treat them well, um, they're going to thrive. They're going to treat your customers well. You know, you're, you're, that that's where everything starts. And so as a leader, you have to understand that if you're not accountable to your people, you'll eventually be held accountable by your people. Right. So you got to get that right. And so when leaders stop trying to put people in boxes and they free them from boxes, when they start, when, when they stop trying to leverage people and they start learning to create leverage for their people, when they stop trying to control them and they start trusting them, you know, that's when things really take off. So I think the future of work is probably less about technology because we've had emerging technology, you know, generationally, right? It's coming at us faster now. It's more interesting now, but emerging technology is nothing new. But if you look at it historically, the same problems exist. Mm -hmm. People try and get the technology piece right in isolation without understanding that it's the people that are going to make the technology work. So if you look at all the digital transformation stuff and, you know, everybody's wandering around saying machine learning and cognitive AI and blockchain and natural language processing. I mean, you know, but none of that means anything if you don't drop it in to a value and vision aligned culture with talent that is optimized Mm. for highest and best use, that's when the technology becomes really interesting, right? Mm. So all all we're doing when we're looking at the future of work is understanding that it's not people versus machines, it's people and machines amplifying one another for the benefit of others, right? I like that a lot. I like that a lot, Mike. And I like the the myotism, the myotisms there. I'm having on a guest later today that's going to speak about consciousness. And so thinking about, and she's working at Singularity University, they're big on exponential technology, uh, working with her to develop AI brains. The only problem being is I don't think humans are, you know, make decisions based off of algorithms. So what's like your whole take on measurements and measuring success and you can't manage what you can't measure. I've been kind of going back and forth on those things because sometimes there are things that you can't measure, you can't account for, and it's the human aspect of that. What are some uh, strategies or your perspective on leadership and measurements? Yeah, yeah, that's that's a hard one because I, I, I tend to struggle with that a little bit because... Mm-hmm. I'm kind of this weird combination of analytical and creative, and I kind of fight with myself, Um, but I lean more towards the creative side, not necessarily because I'm better at it. I I just, 
I enjoy it more, right? Hmm. And, and so I think where people struggle with the whole measurement thing is if you look at most of the metrics, you know, whether we're talking about KPIs or OKRs or whatever framework you want to operate within, you know, when you look at metrics, most people are looking out the rearview mirror. They're tracking things that have already happened, hmm. you know, and that's not a bad thing. Um, but, you know, data for the sake of data, not really useful, you know, data as it leads to insights, right, that can inform you so that you can make better decisions. It's knowing what data is ubiquitous. Everybody has data these days. You know, there's no information that I have that you can't get and vice versa. I mean, we're, we, we live in a data ubiquitous environment. So really, what are you going to do with that? Hmm. And, and that comes back to the whole creative side uh, of humans, right? So, you know, I like calculus. I like algorithms. I, I, you know, I like all of the emerging technology. I like the data that I can get my hands on. But, you know, the reason that companies are category dominant is because they can reinvent themselves at scale, right? When you lose the ability to reinvent yourself at scale, um, you know, it's the beginning of the end. And being able to do that means that you have to have really creative humans that are value and vision aligned that measure the right things that are out on the horizon, right? They're, they're future leaning, they're forward leaning. Um, that, that's the thing. So here, here's my take on the future, right? Um, most people get it wrong. I, I think when most people think about the future, they view it as some far off, distant, ethereal event. It's way out on the horizon. It's right there. Bang. That's the future. Every nanosecond, right? So what you're trying to do is have a line of sight to the future, but pull it back to you. You're, you're trying to bring it closer, operationalize it faster, actualize it. I mean, there's an old saying that, you know, the best companies beat their competition to the future, right? They get there first. Right. And, and you don't get there first by thinking about something a decade out. You say, you know, that's where we need to be a decade out. No, we need to be there in 18 months, right? Mm. I, I mean, that's what it takes. And in today's world, um, I mean, we're living the future just like that. I mean, we got hit with COVID. Now we're all dealing with the aspects of it. I mean, it's all about being in the moment with an eye towards the future. That's a really interesting point. Yeah, because it's easy to get stuck in the in the day-to-day or it's easy to get stuck in the long-term planning and then you feel like you can't make decisions because we haven't planned it out good enough for the future. And that's something I struggle with as well. I really like your, your take on that, but I, I want to stick on the, you know, you've got a book there. Uh, you said you're more creative than analytical um, and it's very difficult to measure, uh, you know, a, a person's storytelling abilities and how it impacts other people. I, I took a look at a couple of your videos, Mike, on YouTube. and I, I really liked them. And um, Mike, you have a lot of sports coaches uh in a lot of your your videos so with uh, you know whether it's her brooks the miracle on ice uh you know giving an inspiration telling what success is courage things like that those are some of the things you can't measure you can't measure the 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 blood flow that that gives somebody you know when when you give a speech what are some good wait i guess mike to you uh, what what is a good story and and what is a good way to articulate one 
Yeah, I think, you know, if you look at the things that capture your attention, right? Whether it's a video on YouTube or Vimeo or whether, you know, it's something on TV, it's a book, it's, you know, it's a magazine, it's your iPhone, you know, we're, we live in that attention economy. And and when things capture your attention, it's the story. It's always the story, you know? And, And so I think, you know, it's one thing to demonstrate capability, competency, credibility, all of those things are really important, but when you do it with a story, it brings it all to life. It's something that people can relate to. It touches different emotives. It makes it real. And I think that's one of the things I love about this whole remote working thing is it's real. You know, this is my home office. It is what it is, right? I mean, I'm not in an ivory tower looking out over, you know, the city, my my empire. I mean, this is my little empire, but, but it's real. And I think that's what people long for today is just that, you know, real transparency. They're, they're tired of all the, the hoo-ha and they just want to know who they're dealing with. And so I think for me, that's what story does. It takes something that's really complicated makes a really simple, really understanding, really interesting. It's something that people can rally around. And so when you look at leaders, um, you know, think of the best leader you've ever been around. My guess is that he or she understood story. They understood the value of it. They utilized it. So if somebody's just kind of yapping at you and they're throwing sound bites at you and buzzwords at you, you know, you, you go tone deaf really quick. It's like enough already. But if they take all that knowledge and they weave it into a story that's not about them, it's about you, right? It's the old don't sell help, you know, that kind of thing. Hmm. I mean, I mean, if you're really focused on the right types of things, story is just it's an amplifier. It's a force multiplier. It's a, you know, it's the best, it's one of the best tools a leader has if they know how to use it. Let's, let's stay on that topic because I really like what you said about the realness of things. And, you know, sometimes we get carried away with having too many business leaders on the show because leadership transcends any industry. It transcends any, any functionality you can be in, like we just said, a sports team, you can be a president, you can be a teacher, you can be a dentist and uh, helping out the emerging economies to, to clean children's teeth. It doesn't matter if you're in business or not about how, how you can be a good leader. Um, but the storytelling aspect is one thing. So you're saying to make the story about someone else. I also think people like to hear transformation and some stories yeah. when you're when you're designing an outline or something like that if you're going to give a speech what are some of the few like uh, outlines or like spaces that you're going to write into um, to make sure that the the story is presented in the way you want it yeah i mean you know there are a lot of people out there that give talks and you know and <sighs> I'm not going to pick on anybody because that's not kind, but you know, there, there are people that we've all seen. Um, and if you've seen one of their videos, you've seen them all, mm-hmm. you know, that because, and look, they've honed their trade craft, right? They're really gifted speakers. I mean, you look at them and go, wow. I mean, because every rough edge is polished, but it's, it, it's just the same thing. It's over and over and over again. And what I like to do, it's not as polished. It's a little bit more raw, but I, I mean, I, I gave a keynote oh, last year where I was sitting down with a client that asked me to speak. And I 
what do you want me to talk on? You know, what's going on in your world? You know, what, what's going on in the worlds of the people that I'm going to be speaking to? And, and we kind of, we talked for about a half an hour and you know what we came away with? What? We were going to go completely X dump and it was just going to be an open Q&A from moment one. Mm. So I stood on stage and fielded questions for an hour and a half from about 500 people. And it was all about them, exactly. you know, and, and that that's what made it powerful. It wasn't me pontificating on a soapbox. You know, it wasn't, hey, check me out. I'm pretty cool. You know, it's like, what's going on in your world? How can I help you? What are you struggling with? You know, what what are you trying to figure out? You know, I, I don't know if you're a Gary Vee fan or not. Yeah, big Gary Vee uh, yeah, you know, I'm I'm not an F bomb kind of guy, you know, and I'm not a beanie kind of a guy, but I but I like how he kind of engages with people, right? And and he's talking, he's usually talking to somebody about something that they're interested in. You know, it, it's kind of his take on what they're dealing with. And so I think that type of thing is is interesting, you know. I, I like his style too. It's very natural and he brings on random people he's never met before to answer their questions all the time. Uh, yeah. I don't know how he does it. I mean, he's, he's a really busy person. So I've also heard, I was watching one of your, your podcasts or interviews with somebody earlier and they were saying, oh, Mike, you know, you were one of the first people in, in blogging for leadership. When did you start blogging? When did you see the when did you see the value of it? And did you create the internet? <laughs> uh, yeah, I created that in my other basement. Uh, no, I look. I I think I started blogging back when they were called online diaries, right? And you know, nobody was really reading it back then. It, it was kind of catharsis for me. It was a way for me just to kind of crystallize my thinking and and deepen my thinking on a topic. So, you know, at first it was more introspective, mm. but then, you know, one day I kind of woke up and like, who are these people commenting on this stuff? And, you know, hey, how did it end up over here? So I'd love to tell you that I had this brilliant vision and strategy that I flawlessly executed. But I think it was just dumb luck and timing. You know, I just I, I started using it, like I said, as more of a journaling type mm. of a thing. But then it started gathering a following and, the, you know, blog led to speaking engagements, which led to, you know, writing in Forbes and Success and Inc. and Washington Post and HBR and all that kind of stuff. Right. Mm -hmm. Which then led to books, which, you know, so it, it just kind of took on a life of its own. And I will tell you, um, if you've read my stuff, Thoreau, I'm not. I mean, I'm you know talking about hacking. I'm a, I'm a literary hack, but I have an opinion. And I'm usually not shy about voicing it. And I, I think that's what resonates with people is when they read it, it's just not rehash, right? It, mm. I mean, maybe it's not completely original, but there's some type of an original take on it. So I, I think that's how I started. That's kind of the journey of the writing side of things. But yeah, it's it's been fun, actually. So what do you have written down right now? What are the goals going forward for these next couple of weeks here? What's written down on your desk? I, I don't know. I, I, I don't know if you see my wall, but I've got a whole my wall is a whiteboard, right? Love so it. what I have written down, let's see. Um, you know, I've, I've just got uh, written down what what do people want to know? when you're communicating to them. Right. Mm. So, you know, they want to know what it is and why, 
They want to know how it will affect them and they want to know when they'll know more. You know, that that's kind of some messaging points when you're talking to people, you know, people, what what do they want from somebody? They, they want somebody that they can trust, somebody that's going to extend compassion, somebody that's going to give them hope, somebody that's going to challenge them, somebody that's going to create stability and safety for them. Right. So mo- most of most of the stuff that I do, I, I had a friend a long time ago, he's a former army brigadier general, and he said, Mike, if it's stupid, it shouldn't be our policy. <laughs> I was like, that's like freaking genius, right? <laughs> and, and I'm and so that's just stuck with me. And it, you know, so when I go into clients Pretty straightforward. Yeah, when I go into clients organizations, I, I kind of start hunting for stupid. You know, I, I, you know, I'm like a heat-seeking muscle after stupid. Mm. You know, because if you can get rid of stupid. And you feel stupid with excellence and innovation and creativity. And like I said earlier, not leveraging people, but creating leverage for your people, taking them out of the box, you know, that kind of thing. So when I look at things, you know, I'm kind of looking for stupid. And then I'm trying to take, you know, what what somebody put into place that only exists because it exists just eviscerate it, just blow it up, get rid of it and replace it with something that unlocks hidden value, you know, connect dots that other people don't even see. And you do that by thinking through the minds of other people, right? It's not, it's not about what I think. It's not about, you know, a strategy. I mean, I don't really care what somebody's strategy is. You know, what I care about is, is it working? Mm. You know, it, is it is it bringing the right people to you? Is it creating the right culture? You know, is it is it doing and accomplishing the right things? You know, I don't care if you paid McKenzie a million dollars to give you a nice slide deck. Is it working? Mm-hmm. You know, what's it doing for you? How's it impacting everybody in your ecosystem? And I, I don't care that it's, you know, cost you a bunch of money and it looks pretty. You know, can you operationalize it? Can you create value with it? You know, can you do something unique and valuable? And so, you know, most of what I do is I just kind of challenge my clients to think differently. It's like, okay, that's what got you here. But now how do we go here? Mm. You know, and, and usually you have to kind of re- reframe, rethink, reimagine, reinvent. And so I guess that's if you ask me what I do for a living. I, I take really successful people and have them reimagine themselves in a different place, not by being more successful, but by being more significant. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's the big thing. Not more successful, but more significant. Okay, I like that. And, and you know, I actually had this conversation with my grandpa like last weekend. <laughs> Fortunately, he's still around. You know, you're able to have those conversations still. But you know, the question was, you know, what do you like? Why do your listeners listen to your podcast? And I was giving them a couple of examples. Well, you know, I think they really like the insights from our, from our audience. I think the the people are really real. But what I came down to is that, you know, I, sometimes I don't even know if people know what they want sometimes. I really don't. And I think yeah. if we can share a memory that think that then creates a memory for them which spurs a reaction uh whether it's positive or negative i think that's really what they're aching for is is to feel something and my grandpa said it best he said you know you only grow through 
pain or through six, you know, successful moments in your life. So the question for you, Mike, is, is when has there been a painful moment uh, in your life that's really spurred some growth for you? You get, you got a couple of days. <laughs> yeah, I do. I got all the time <laughs> in the world. <laughs> no, I look, I think, you know, I've, I've had, I've had to reinvent myself a few times. I mean, I had an early stroke, um, a couple of years ago, I was at my daughter's house and I was trying to hop over a baby gate to go see the grandkids. And I fell down two flights of stairs and broke my back. Um, you know, my left leg to this day is numb from my hip to my ankle. I mean, I literally, it's like that Adam Sandler movie. You could kind of impale yourself and not feel it. Um, but I can feel the bottom of my foot. So once, you know, so I can still move around, I, I actually still run. I mean, my son says I jog, I don't run. But, um, but it, you know, for an old guy, I can still get around, even with a numb leg and a broken Exercise. back, right? But, you know, one of the things I learned early on in life is that anybody can do easy what, what leaders do is leaders do hard. Well, mm. you know, that, and I, and I think, you know, the times we live in today, the thing, you know, everything that anybody listening to this, everybody's had hard times, right. But, but, you know, do hard well, or hard's going to do you, you know, and that's, that's, that's pretty much one way that you can look at it. I think the other thing, and, you know, it's a, it's a hard time when, it, when, it, when I, when I have my stroke, um, you know, I kind of woke up in the hospital. Um, the doctor said, Hey, Mike, you know, what you don't get back in two years, you probably won't get back. So I went on this kind of journey to figure out if I would function again. And, you know, I, I, I understand from people that knew me before, uh, you know, I used to move fast enough. I'd make a cup of coffee nervous. Right. I mean, I was just like, all, you know, all fifth gear all the time. Mm. And, and I'm a little bit slower today. Um, and I think I'm a little bit more thoughtful today. And I think it's because I have to, my brain doesn't work as fast. So I have to think harder, mm. um, which slows me down a little, which, you know, back to that earlier thing, slow, smooth and smooth is fast. And so I think, you know, some of the maladies and, and, you know, things that I've gone through in life have just, made me better, more thoughtful, more empathetic, more caring. But, you know, when you go through a hard time, what, what difficult times do is they don't change you. They amplify you. They reveal you. So if, if you were a good person going into this, you're going to be a great person going through this. Mm-hmm. If, if you were kind of a, you know, a waste of space coming into this, you're just going to be meaner and nastier coming out of it. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, that that's something that I've seen. I mean, tough times magnify your natural tendencies. They reveal who you are. And during tough times, you know, good teammates and good leaders, they step up, you know, bad teammates, bad leaders, they disappear. You know, it it has a winnowing effect. So, I mean, even when you're in the toughest of times, as tragic as it is, and, you know, all the stuff that we're having to deal with right now, it's going to tell you who your friends are versus people who say they're your friends, but yet you never heard from them. Mm. You know, I, you know, these these are times where just open your eyes, open your ears, watch, observe, and learn a lot. You can learn a lot. That's powerful. That's powerful. I mean, uh, I feel like a lot of 
people are very difficult on themselves. And a lot of leaders have, like you said, they do hard well. They've been able to sustain, you know, that mentality and embrace, I say embrace the suck. They, they embrace yeah. the, there you go. The, the difficult times. Yeah. Um, wh- what's worked for you? for sustaining something, you know, I, I just, I just told you I blew up on a, on Tuesday, you know, I'm, I'm playing rap music after my podcast. I'm, I'm blasting that, you know, I'm blasting that shit. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm headbanging <laughs> and, uh, and you know, again, I, that's not the person I want to be at the end of the day, you know, at the same time. So, you know, what's, what's worked for you in terms of growing from, you know, a pitfall? Yeah, I, I think it's, I, I think it's bigger than that for me anyway, but, um, early on in life, I was pretty much all about me, you know, and I wanted to be this and that, and I wanted to achieve this and that. And I was very goal oriented, success driven, kind of hard charging. And, you know, and, and then I got married and then I had kids and, and, Early on, you know, not, I mean, I, my wife and I have been married for 35 years, right? And we've got Congrats. two grown children and eight grandkids. And, and early on in my marriage, I still didn't figure it out because I was still all about, you know, I had things that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. But I eventually woke up and, you know, my wife said this to me a long time ago. She goes, Mike, don't worry about people who aren't going to be crying at your funeral. You know, and, and I was like, hmm, that's that that just kind of rocked my world. And then I looked at my kids and now I watch my grandkids. And so what I'm trying to do right now mm-hmm. is live my legacy before I'm dead. Mm-hmm. Right. I, you know, I, I want to be here for the people that need me. I want to help the people. Uh, that I can. And so what gets me through hard times is, you know, I, I don't want my kids or my grandkids to look at me and say, you know, dad's an asshole, you know? Or, yeah. I mean, I, and honestly, you know, my son has said that to me a couple of times and I got to tell you that rocks me, right? It just takes me right back to center and it refocuses me because mm. I don't want to be that guy. Mm. You know, I just don't want to be that guy. And so hopefully, you know, my focus on how my family and my friends and my team looks at me makes me do the right thing, even if I don't want to, Mm. you know, I mean, I don't care who you are. Everybody talks about character and integrity. People have lapses in character. People have breaks in integrity, you know, and that's what grace is for. Um, that's what forgiveness is for. And, you know, anybody that's not willing to give somebody a second chance, they need to step back and figure out how many second chances they've been given in their life. So, you know, I'm just kind of driven by making sure that I'm setting an example that, you know, people can do something with as opposed to looking at and going, God, I don't want to be like that guy. And, and so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm not as motivated by money. I mean, there was a time. I was motivated by money. I'm not motivated by that right now. I mean, if I'm vertical and breathing, it's a good day. <laughs> yeah, another bit, another day above dirt, right? There you go. Well, Mike, uh, you say leave a legacy. That's a big incentive, a major incentive of a lot of leaders. So let's bring this full circle now to you, Mike. My, what is your definition of a real leader? You know, I I would say this. 
every time you interact with anybody, um, you have the ability to leave them better than you found them. And, and I think, you know, that that's the deal, right? Um, if you tell somebody they're not a leader for long enough, don't be surprised when they start to believe you, right? I mean, you know, you don't have to be a CEO to lead. Everybody can lead. Everybody should lead. And, and so, you know, leadership, whether, whether it's thrust upon you, whether you come, you know, into it of your own accord, whether you stumble into it by accident, when you're in a leadership role and you view yourself as a leader, you will lead. But will you lead well? Mm. You know, and, and that's the thing. Mm. And so you're either going to be leading people towards something or away from something. So here's the storytelling, right? I'll close with a story. Love it. So I, I was in high school. I, you know, I wasn't a bad baseball player, right? I, you know, I, I had a little game back in the day, tee up Bruce Springsteen glory days. But yeah, exactly. You know, team captain, pretty good baseball player. My coach took me aside one day and he goes, Mike, you're one of the best leaders that I've ever seen. But why don't you start leading these guys towards the right thing instead of the wrong thing? Why why don't why don't you use this for the right things? Mm. Now, I didn't even understand what he was saying at the time. Uh, but I kind of went home and I thought about it and you know went back to and I said, hey, hey coach, can I ask you a question? You know, because I was trying to I didn't really get it at first, but once it sunk in, it's like, whoa. You know, because he was like, Mike, these guys have followed you off a cliff. And the problem is you keep running them off cliffs. Don't do that anymore. Right. You know, so that that was kind of the aha moment, I think. Mike, beautifully put. Uh, I really appreciate you coming on the Real Ears podcast today. I enjoyed the conversation. Uh, we took it everywhere. We took it everywhere today. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, I think we, we went down and, and revealed some things. I think it's going to draw that emotion out of our, our listeners, our audience, because, uh, you know, art is pain at the end of the day. Uh, so just want to appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, for Mike Maida, I'm Kevin Edwards asking you to go out there, leave things better than you found them, always folks keep it real appreciate you mike thanks kevin appreciate it all right good people and thank you for tuning into this episode of the real leaders podcast i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did and if you haven't yet subscribed then please by all means hit the subscribe button to start receiving notifications of this amazing podcast and for the lucky listeners out there today you are going to walk away with a free magazine. All you got to do is go to real-leaders.com slash subscribe and use coupon code podcast25 at checkout to receive your first magazine for free with a year subscription. That's four magazines for the price of three. Again, folks, that's coupon code podcast25. If you're a visual learner and you want to watch this interview on your computer or TV with friends and family, make sure to subscribe to the new YouTube channel at Realtors Magazine to see all of these interviews with guests harnessing capitalism to sustain the planet, people, and profits. Thanks again for being a Realtor and stay tuned for the next episode of the Realtors Podcast.